Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I'm Mike Campbell, and joining me is... Melody Kylik. We just wanted to give you a short introduction to our COVID-19 check-in part two episode. So today you'll hear the second part with Jesse checking in with past guests, future guests, and friends of the show. We just wanted to give a little check-in on how we're doing. Uh, my son Bryce, aka the assistant editor of the show, is staying home because school is on hold until at least May 4th. New Hampshire has been great with online learning. They're using Google Classroom. Granted, he's only in preschool, so it's not a lot. But the teacher sets up a bunch of activities to do each day, and he's been having a pretty good time. I'm very fortunate that my wife is able to work from home, so she set up a desk in the other room. And I do my best to keep Bryce from bothering her until she's done with the day, which is not as easy as you would think it is course with a now five-year-old uh, running around the house. So how's things for you, Melody? Yeah, not much has changed for me. I still have work. Uh, they did send home everybody that could work from home and me and a few other people, we can't work from home with what we do. So we've been going into the office, but there's been very, very little to do. So most of the day we do kind of have some free time. So I've been trying to just do some writing projects that I've wanted to get to just my own sort of projects. So you've been deemed essential. Yes, because I work in a mail room. There you go. And no, I don't do a lot of mail room work. I'm still technically in the mail room, so we're all essential in there. Do you have any greater feeling inside about being so essential? No, actually, I was pretty jealous at first that everyone else gets to quarantine and I don't get to because I would do an amazing job quarantining. So I quarantine during the weekends. I do, that's as much as I can do, honestly, is just stay in during the weekends. So I've gone grocery shopping Friday night and there's still no toilet paper anywhere. uh, No disinfectant wipes anywhere. No hand sanitizer anywhere. And I've been, I've been buying hand sanitizer for many, many years now. And only now it's all gone everywhere. (laughs) So again, I want to thank everyone that gave us a few minutes of their time this weekend to record these interviews. So our next guest is a person well-known to listeners of the podcast. He joined us back in episode four. He was actually our guest on last week's episode. David Vermette is a researcher, writer, blogger, and he's the author of the immensely important and influential book, A Distinct Alien Race, The Untold Story of Franco-Americans, Industrialization, Immigration, and Religious Strife. David, thank you for joining us again, sir. My pleasure. Now, so where are you located and what does life look like where you are? Well, I am located in Annapolis, Maryland the uh, fine capital of the uh, state of Maryland. And the governor has uh, basically stopped short of shelter in place, but uh, all restaurants and bars are closed. All non-essential businesses are closed. Uh, No gatherings of 10 people or more. So we can go out and do things. We're not stuck in our houses entirely, but pretty much downtown Annapolis is a ghost town. Now, we've discussed before that you are a musician. Yes. How does how is that working now? I imagine we can't play a whole lot of gigs if you can't get more than five people in a room together. That's right. Yeah, my gigs, uh, my, my music gigs and my speaking gigs, uh, where I'm uh, going to do yet another book tour to support sure. a distinct alien race. Uh, and I had several venues lined up for late April. Those are dead now. They've been postponed, I should say. I think it's likely that maybe next year I'll I'll uh, get those gigs back. But yeah, music gigs, they're pretty much canceled or postponed. And uh, just in these last couple weeks that I realized how dependent I am on getting out and playing music with people, how much I miss that. How do you spend your time? What's your day-to-day look like? Well, uh, thankfully, you know, a lot of my work is writer-editor work. I mean, that's my job. I'm a writer and editor as well as a musician. So thankfully, I can work from home. I still have my existing clients, 
so my life hasn't changed all that much. I've been, I, I was a pioneer of the gig economy back in 1995. So uh, it's been 25 years since I've had a real job. <laughs> uh, uh, and so, you know, it hasn't really changed my life all that much besides missing uh, my musician friends because I rehearse with three different bands on three different days a week. Plus I have, oh, wow. so that's sure. a lot of, uh, it's a lot of getting out. And so basically music is my social life. So it's a slightly isolating, but overall my life hasn't changed as much as much as a lot of other people. Okay. And the super important question to me, what suggestion would you have to someone like myself who is now stuck in an apartment? There's a couple of things. Find some meaty thing you can get into. Like you were uh, planning on going to Quebec to learn French, you know, hit the French books, hit the Duolingo, hit the whatever, you know, you've got that to teach you to learn French. That's something I'm working on too. I'd like to nice. get my French uh, to improve my French. Uh, so, you know, I've been working on listening to f uh, French language videos on, on YouTube is something I do a lot, improve my comprehension. Uh, so something like that. Obviously, music is infinite. You know, even though I don't get to play with other people, the practicing that I do, you know, it, it's it, there's no upper end. You can practice forever and ever, every day, and improve and improve and improve. So I've got, you know, French language I'd like to improve on. I've got music I'd like to improve on. And obviously, my writing, my research and writing goes on, at least through online sources. So uh, my advice would be find something meaty that really absorbs your attention and uh and work on it awesome thank you david appreciate it sir my pleasure it's always uh, always great to talk to the french canadian legacy podcast now our guest is someone i am very fortunate to have met actually through this podcast now Réjean beaulieu is a name that will be very familiar to many of our listeners he's a frequent contributor on social media and has written a number of incredibly interesting articles frequently dealing with uh, franco-american topics and often concerning western canada the pacific northwest of the united states Réjean, welcome to the podcast glad to be there now where are you living now I live in uh, very close to downtown Vancouver. For those that know Vancouver, just off the Burrard Bridge. So it's an interesting place, uh, I guess, as the rest of America right now. Although the stories we heard is that your area got really hit particularly hard really early on by this. What, what does Vancouver and the surrounding area look like now? Well, I guess uh, the way I was hit, I, I'm actually just finishing my 14 days isolation. I came back, I was in Europe, just right north of where this thing was burning hard in uh, northern Italy. I was in the Alps. Oh, wow. And I, I had to interrupt my trip, so I came back uh, a week earlier, so it wasn't too bad. And I, I got I got into this isolation, and then I uh, got to experience my city in a, in a totally different way, kind of locked up in my place. And uh I guess I'm over 60, so it has not been advised that I get out more than I have to. And, of course, I was trying to be a good citizen and uh, not go out. And I, I pretty much did. I did very well. I do have a dog, so I walk my dog at times. But I didn't go inside anywhere else and did not socialize. So my socializing, I guess, has been done more than ever through the Internet. What else? <laughs> Of course. Now, you recently wrote a super interesting article that discussed a couple of pandemics in the Northwest U.S. region. Can you just give us a couple of those? I thought that was very cool. Uh, well, uh, you know, often we pity ourselves for things being so bad and all that stuff. And I can tell you that in the old days, it was really, really bad. Uh, eight, uh, 1780, 30% of the population, uh, native population, got wiped out uh, throughout the coastline. So the Spanish brought this thing. That was a big one. There was a cholera in, in the 1830s, early 30s, came back every couple summers. It came through uh, malaria ports. They were doing some trading in the Pacific, salmon trading. And that wiped out uh, 80 to 90% of the population. So as they say uh, in French, they say quand on se compare, on se console. When you compare yourself, you can you console yourself, uh, if my English is right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so history sometimes it can be uh, fascinating. Of course, the uh, there's a, there was a measles that wiped out a lot of people. And the one that kind of got me triggered on that was another uh, 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 British Columbia is historian. He, uh, he went on about, as many other commentators, 
uh, went out with the Spanish flu 1917-18, and he, I thought he went very colonial and kind of forgot to mention the stuff that I find, the history that I, I've been very drawn by for the last year or so, which is this uh, prior to the border uh, history where the, I guess, the Francos and mainly Métis were really shaping up this place long before Riel and others. So that, that was a fascinating part of history. A lot of people are discovering that, and uh, I'm glad that uh, finally is uncovered. Yeah, no, that's super interesting. Now, maybe you can give us some thoughts. How are you passing the time, and what tips, advice would you give to someone like myself who is now stuck inside all the time as well? Uh, gee, that, this could be a very long answer. I'll try. <laughs> I'll try to be concise. I mean, right now we're stuck through, I guess, the Internet. I mean, it's not a bad place. Imagine, uh, you know, 100, 200 years ago, to being locked up in a boat, you know. Uh, that that would not have been a pretty sight. So we're, we're spoiled. We have access, fingertip access to all kinds of stuff. As you may know, I'm uh, kind of uh, become a new uh, newbie uh, one year now on Wikipedia. So uh, my uh, take on Wikipedia about a year ago was I noticed really, really large gap in the Pacific Northwest history as it was reported on Wikipedia. There was an article there. It was fairly well done, but uh, I thought it was so well done that it really deserved to uh, have these gaps filled. So I I uh, tactfully uh, corrected these gaps. And as I start looking elsewhere, uh, of course, there's all kinds of other gaps in the Pacific Northwest in other articles and so forth. Um, I, I kind of broadened my span uh, across border uh, bigger time, and I, I, perhaps that's what kind of brought me uh, back uh, back east, where I originally came from originally, uh, including you folks, guys in, uh, in New England there. And I, I was recently looking at the counterpart of Pacific Northwest, and I came across this uh, other article on Wikipedia <laughs> on the Atlantic Northeast. So this is all web surfing, you know, the kind of moving the breeze, looking around, and I saw this interesting article, and it had the the the, the map. The map was really really bad. <laughs> so, so I, I commented on that, but I, I thought uh, it was also quite a large history section. It wasn't all that that good, and I, I figured that there was another uh, gaping hole that could be filled. And uh, then I, I went back in the center of uh, of the the border, their center of the continent, uh, around the uh, Lake. Of, Superior, Superior Lake, very similar articles, similar gaps, and so on. So, uh, if uh, some of your listeners are, are interested in Wikipedia, it uh, at first is quite intimidating. It's extremely intimidating. But if you start with something really small, um, you know, kind of like prototype mock-up work. Now my background is engineering, by the way. Uh, you could actually get going really fast. So, what it means is that you get yourself a login. How long does it take? Five minutes. Five minutes, you get yourself a login, and then you pick up an article. Uh, it doesn't have to be Franco stuff. It could be whatever you like. And uh, let's say that you see something that kind of irritates you. It could be a typo for certain people. <laughs> it could be, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you may want to crack a joke. However, you know, you're supposed to be responsible, certainly on your first touch of Wikipedia. And then you can do your fix, and then you can submit the fix, and the fix will actually show there, right there. So it's quite powerful. And... Uh, so uh, some people, I guess, can get addicted to that. And uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's my disclaimer there. Uh, of course, <laughs> writing, writing your first article is far more intimidating. But you know, before you run, you uh, you have to walk first. So I encourage people to give it a try. It's a, it's a cool tool, and it's really often we complain that oh, you know, the history has been written by the, the bigger guys, and nowadays. It's, it's actually quite easy. You can publish yourself. You can blog. You can do Wikipedia. You can do Facebook, social media, and podcasts. And uh, there's all kinds of ways to fill all these gaps, very large gaps. I'm glad you guys are filling your own. Well, I appreciate that very, very much. And your work is absolutely awesome. I look forward to being able to get you for a full episode once all of this kind of blows over. So thank you very much, sir. I appreciate your time. Take care, guys. Wash your hands. Yeah, you got it. Me too. Joining us now is our guest from episode 21 of the podcast. Sandra Goodwin is the host of the very popular and very influential podcast, Maple Stars and Stripes, your French-Canadian genealogy podcast. Sandra, thank you again for speaking with us. Hi, Jesse. Good to be with you again. Now, what does your life look like now? It hasn't changed. I'm one of the fortunate ones. 
That's excellent. So one thing that we do know is that you have an amazing trip planned. And how I, I had an amazing oh, trip planned. Okay. So first of all, tell us about what that trip was going to be and what the new status is. It's part of our walk in the footsteps of your ancestors trips that we did. We did one to Acadia in 2016 and then to Quebec in 2018. So this time we were going to go to places where our ancestors lived in Trois-Rivières and Montreal. But of course, COVID-19 has ruined that as it's ruined so many things for so many people. So what I did was... I got on Facebook with the crew. We have a private Facebook group. And I asked them, okay, what do you want to do now? We can't go next year because Fred Clark from And Away We Go Travel, who is our tour director, is booked next summer. Oh, wow. So we would have had to wait till the summer after. But they all decided instead they wanted to move ahead to what we were going to do after this trip, which was a walk in the footsteps of your ancestor trip to France. Oh, wow. So what I'm doing now is tracking down travel companies, looking for one who can kind of customize a trip for us to the places where our French-Canadian ancestors came from, like Rouen, Dieppe, uh, La Rochelle, all the places, Poitou, all the places where the original, well, not all of them, but a majority of the original settlers came from. So that's what's on the agenda now. Well, that sounds like an amazing trip. I have the only town of those you mentioned I've been to is Rouen, and that was probably my favorite place I yeah, saw in France. It looks that place like is beautiful. absolutely amazing. Yeah, it looks like a it's, beautiful place. It's like you're back in time. It's like it is. Oh, it's, yeah. a medi- it's a medieval town. It's really, really neat. So, my question then is do you have any suggestion for someone like myself who is now finding himself stuck inside the apartment for the foreseeable future? Research, research, research. Here's a, <laughs> here's a great time to find out who your ancestors are all the way back to France. Find out where they came from. There you go. And if you need any tips to do that, start early on. Maple Stars and Stripes, right from the beginning. There you go. Gosh, very, very cool. Well, I'm glad that you guys are still able to kind of make the adjustment. Obviously, big bummer that your trip up to Quebec can't happen. But I think that's awesome that you're still going forward with this trip to France. That should be a blast. Well, we're hoping to, unless some other pandemic or some other disaster strikes, which hopefully it won't. That's You're right. We've, I think we've learned nothing's guaranteed at this point. That's sure. right. You have to be flexible. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you. Appreciate it very, very much, Sandra. All right. Take care, Jesse. All right. Joining us now is a future guest of the podcast, actually, a doctoral candidate at the University of Virginia and the host of the terrific podcast, the North American Francophone Podcast, Claire Marie Brisson. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, what does your new reality look like now in Charlottesville? Yeah, so um, I teach at the University of Virginia, and it's been such a transition. I've been tasked with helping the French department actually transition all of their classes online, and it's been difficult, especially for those who just don't feel comfortable with the online environment. It's been really weird, and it's also been strange seeing just, you know, the city go from vibrant to empty. Has the university already called classes for the remainder of the term, or are they just still in a wait-and-see constant delay Yeah. Yeah, so they actually canceled all of the classes for the rest of the term. They've canceled graduation. Everything's online. I was supposed to teach overseas over summer. Those have all been canceled. And now we're just waiting to see what fall's going to look like. You know, are we actually going to have school the same way that we did in the past? It's, It's a really weird time. Yeah, for sure. Now, what are you doing then to pass the time now that you're not teaching all these classes? That's a great question. Well, I am teaching still online on Zoom, oh, oh, um, like most of us, but um, I also am, I've started baking bread. I've started, <laughs> like most people, I, I've seen flour sold out at the, the stores. I've also been, you know, trying to help out if anyone needs anything to sort of, you know, deliver it to them if, if they ask for anything that they might need. Try to connect a lot more with the community. I'm also helping with a grab-and-go service where they're having milk delivery here in town from a local creamery. Um, that's been a pretty nice experience too. So just trying to keep connected with the community as much as possible with that social distancing and keeping positive. Absolutely. That's awesome that you're helping out like that. Now, would you have any suggestion, tips, fun ideas for those like myself who are uh, now stuck in their apartment by themselves for the foreseeable future? 
<laughs> I think that what we can do is, you know, build as much solidarity as possible with people. There was a, I was just reading The New Yorker today on the patio, and uh, there's a really interesting website that is called Quarantine Chat, quarantinechat.com. And the nice thing about that is it's a way for people to connect with one another uh, in ways that you would say, for example, if you're in a bar or you're sure, at the grocery cool. store. And it actually connects you randomly on a phone call and you talk about something. And <laughs> it, That's awesome. It's kind of like the random conversations that you would have in person. Sure. But at home. And I think that that's a great thing too, you know, aside from picking up new hobbies or a new language or whatever else, you know, that, that would be something I'd recommend. Awesome. That's a great tip. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Claire Marie. Stay safe. Thank you so much. Joining us now is an individual who in the past year or so has really become a significant presence in the Franco-American world. Calvin Fox is a student on Concordia University, and he has started the Francophone R.I. Project to help preserve wound sockets, French-Canadian heritage. Calvin, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's really exciting to be here. Now, where are you coming from right now? Actually, I'm coming uh, from my home right now in Rhode Island. I was lucky enough to make it back, you know, before all the craziness started happening, but yeah, I'm coming home from Rhode Island. Now, obviously, I should note that you're normally up in Montreal. That's where you would, would normally be. Now, were you guys tossed out of all housing there? Is that what happened? No. So as soon as um, the schools kind of started getting wind of what was going on, uh, they started cutting the classes. So we kind of just decided. And it was more of a, a lucky choice to just go home before it got too crazy. Sure. And we kind of just decided to do that uh, because some of our classes were online anyway. So we were like just to be safe. And then it ended up uh, happening that they closed the borders and all that stuff. So we kind of just got lucky. Have they moved all your classes to like online classes now? Uh, yeah, all my classes are um, online now and they don't open up back to like physical school until the end of uh april i believe so we hope. That's, yeah yeah now i got you so what does rhode island look like now um it's not too bad i mean uh when you go food shopping the store the stores are definitely um a lot less stocked than usual um and some people are are going pretty heavy on the food but i would say for the most part people are in a weird way pretty calm it's actually pretty nice to see a lot of people with their families and uh you know it, it's almost like a um you know calm environment or calmer environment than usual in terms of people being together and that stuff but yeah no i got you and what are, what does your day look like now now that you're not um, i mean you're a college athlete i should mention that as well so you yeah. are a college athlete you are a college student who would be going to class be training now what the heck are you doing with your time uh, well, it's definitely it's definitely interesting having um, like this much free time. Uh, our trainers on the athletic side send us a new like inside workout program to do every day. She like every morning we'll get an email and we end up having to do you know the program that she sends. And then on the academic side, uh, we still have to do classes. Uh, we still have to do everything, you know, as normal. But um, yeah, and then besides that, I'm just trying to you know been you know working on the page a little bit coming up with more ideas for Francophone Rhode Island, trying to, you know, put the best things out there I can in the future and, and, and all that good stuff. So. And one thing I will note, we got a plug for sure, is you have merchandise. So yeah. what do you have and where can people get it? Uh, so right now we're in the process of, you know, launching, uh, you know, merchandise store. It's on Teespring. And if you just type in Francophone Rhode Island, um, it'll come up and you'll see all oh, we have different T-shirts. We have some coffee mugs, and uh, that's it for right now. Uh, we're looking to expand more and more. I just want to make sure that um, I don't just put out crap work. I want to really try to create something that kind of has a meaning and something that, you know, if someone's going to buy it, I want them to actually have, you know, feel like there's meaning behind it, and that actually represents something that, that I'm just trying to, you know, get money or whatever, you know. So I'm trying to be very specific and meaningful with each shirt that I do. Well, the work you are doing is absolutely awesome. So, Calvin, thank you so much for joining us, sir. No problem. It was a pleasure. It was really exciting. Joining us now is Juliana LaRouche. So, Juliana was actually the very first person uh, we ever interviewed for the program. And that interview became our number two show that we released. Now, Juliana, join us again for our Christmas episode. 
She also is behind the really good blog, Franco American News and Culture. Juliana, welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's good to be with you, and I hope you and, and all of your families and your colleagues there are, are safe and well. Is everything okay? So far, yeah. We're kind of all That's... keeping separate doing our thing. So what does your life look like now, then? <laughs> well, you know, I'm so, I'm so fortunate in terms of the uh, Franco-American connection because I have terrific colleagues like um, you and, and your staff and 30-some years writing about Franco-Americans <laughs> all over New England. Honestly, with um, social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, listservs. I have a listserv called Friends, and I'll plug that here. I've had it for years. It's called Friends um, at MainWriter.com. You know, people have been communicating, and that's really what's important right now, that we're connecting with people who we know and we've followed for years and, and hearing from them and um, just, you know, reaffirming that everybody's okay. So it's been, it's really been good that way. My husband and I certainly are self-sheltering here in Maine. Um, we are in high-risk groups based on our age, but actually we're pretty healthy and we feel very blessed about that. Uh, so what I'm doing is writing about it. Um, the past couple of blogs that I put up, really reflected on the Franco-American experience in times and challenging times. And I think one of the most interesting blogs that I have revisited over the years has been about uh, Tante Blanche up in uh, Madawaska, and she is a heroine of that uh, region. And in 1797, she uh, saved her population in that area of the world, which was not a state then, called Madawaska territory, Madawaska region, 1797, um, she saved her community from starvation um, during the Black Famine uh, of that uh, period. And that, that story is not a myth. It's been well documented over the years. And uh, she's uh, buried in a church cemetery in New Brunswick. And she's a very real heroine of the Franco-American, the Acadian culture. So I've been writing about, you know, the... Um, the, the, the challenges that we've had in the past, and people have overcome them. So that's kind of what I've been doing, just can reconnecting with everyone who has helped me over the years to develop the um, stories I've written about and spoken about on your podcast and to communicate that back, you know, to um, the world. I also, though, I want to digress here and just tell you something, and I hope you're sure. going to be listening. You have a real fan, and I want to do a shout-out to Charlie Remy. Charlie is a um, is a uh, electronic services librarian at the University of Tennessee in Tallahassee in the Chattanooga University of Tennessee Chattanooga. He's a native of Gorham, Maine, and his father is a Franco American, George Remy, and he follows your blog and loves it. So I want to give awesome. a shout out to Remy down in Tennessee. Yeah, because <laughs> I know he's to listening your blog. <laughs> yeah, send us an email. We'll connect. Now. I, one other thing, I guess, I just wanted to get your thoughts on. What advice, if any, do you have any hints, suggestions for someone like myself who is going to be stuck in an apartment for the foreseeable future? Well, that's an easy answer. You have a wonderful family story. I've read about it online, but you need to you need to get it out there and talk about it. You have a story of, of family faith and um, challenges, and you should... Um, make that public uh, that would be my advice to you with uh, like make it. a journal out of it with pictures references to the history who, who was it who called me today oh, oh yes a, a gentleman a priest he called me from florida today father raymond Oje. he's a franco-american grew up in biddeford a lot of people listening to this podcast may know him but right now he's a retired priest and he's living in florida and he called me today because he's a 90 293 he's old okay so sure. i said so father what are you doing with the time that you have to stay inside all the time and he told me that he's he has traveled all over the world actually he's had sort of a charmed life he's actually been the chaplain on a lot of these cruise ships that are now of course stranded at sea but kept journals of all his travels with pictures and he's putting them all together in a, like a big diary 
And that's what he's been doing. He's been scanning the pictures, labeling the pictures. He's been putting the pictures with his journal entries, which are all dated. He dated every single time he wrote, he would date it. And he's putting that together in like a, a big volume. And he said, so Julie, he says, what should I do with this when it's all finished? And I said, Father, you have to donate that to a historical archives. Find a historical archives, even the Diocese of Portland, because you used to be a priest here before you moved to Florida. But there are others, you know, even in Manchester and in um, uh, the University of Southern Maine and uh, St. Anselm's, and, and donate that. And he didn't, he, he had never thought to do that, and he is thinking about doing that. So he's He's taking that advice. And so I would say the same to all Franco-Americans. One of the things I'm really concerned about, and it really bothers me a lot, is because of the closure of the border now. Now you can't cross the Canadian-U.S. border unless you have a vital reason to do so. And I fear, and I sincerely mean this, I fear that, that getting back to any kind of normal on that um, cross-border communication is not going to be seen again in our lifetime. This is a tremendous tragedy. And so I'm afraid we're going to lose that connectedness. That's what I'm afraid of. But we can overcome that if we continue to document our family stories and communicate that over the social media so that we can continue to connect with those family people who we may never really have another family reunion with. We don't know, but I'm, I'm not going to predict that we won't, but I don't think it's in the immediate future, for sure. So that's what I would suggest that everyone do, is write your families the memoirs. And don't think that anything that you can remember is not important, because everything that you can remember is important. Um, so I would encourage that everyone write that story down and to submit it to a, 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 a local or State Historical Society. So that would be my advice. I like it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, you guys stay safe, okay? Joining us now is a guest that has already been on the podcast a couple of times already. In episode six, we spoke with James Mile about his work, including his must-read blog, Parley Vu American. James also joined us a couple of episodes later to educate us on St. Jean-Baptiste celebrations in New England. James, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Now, what does your new normal look like? Um, I mean, <laughs> I think like a lot of us, I'm trying to balance um, working at home and minding my kids and doing all the other stuff that sort of we all try and do in our regular lives as well. So it's all been smushed together very quickly. Now, did you quickly turn into a homeschool teacher? Is that your life? Here in the uh, a little bit. Um, my uh, my two older girls are actually actually with my mother-in-law, who's a retired teacher. So she's doing gotcha. a little bit of homeschooling, which is nice. But I've got a two almost three-year-old who I'm doing some very basic things with. <laughs> oh man, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. So, now, how's this impacting your Franco-American work at all? Yeah, I mean it's weird. It's been. I had thought initially it would give me a whole bunch of extra time to do reading and some writing, and it at least for the last couple of chaotic weeks, it's been a lot less time. Um, so uh, maybe when some of that settles out, I'll uh, have a little backlog of ideas that I'll have been working on. But uh, so far, it's been a little chaotic to do anything with. No, I got it. a lot of uncertainty, too, which I think yep. drives everybody kind of crazy. All right, so I'll get you out of here on this. Do you have any suggestions or hints for someone like myself who is stuck in the apartment for the foreseeable future? <laughs> I mean, I do think um, if there are folks who I always I struggle because I don't have a lot of of time on my hands right now but i think if there are folks who have extra time on their hands um i do think it's a great time to um you know maybe look through some of that um the family history stuff or uh read the book you've been meaning to pick up again for a long time so potentially there's a lot of opportunity for learning for all of us awesome i appreciate it james thank you sir cool all right thanks jesse yeah, have a good one. our next guest remy Francoeur, grew up on the west side of my hometown manchester new hampshire but he is now a public relations and communications consultant in Montreal, and he's working on a book project that a whole lot of us are pretty excited about, titled The Last Franco-American. Remy, thank you for joining us, sir. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Now, what does life look like in Montreal now? Well, right now, um, same as everywhere, um, in isolation, confinement, and um, been like this for three weeks now. Uh, we're a little ahead of New Hampshire and New England in terms of uh, the restrictions 
things like that. But uh, other than that, life's been pretty good considering. Gotcha. So what does this kind of thing have as far as an impact on somebody who works as a public relations consultant? I would imagine it's going to be pretty significant. Oh, yeah. Crisis management. Um, especially right now, government's got to deal with basically different measures every day. Uh, um, public relations. Uh, they well, have to be versatile and uh, basically expect the unexpected every day. Do you have any fun suggestions for someone like myself who is now stuck in an apartment for the foreseeable future? Uh, uh, suggestions uh, for, jeez. Uh, We've done, uh, we've used applications like Zoom, and um, I just learned of this application. I think it's called House Party Trivia Game, but uh, yeah, Zoom's been working <laughs> <look>, great. <laughs> I like that very but, uh, cool. that, It's basically been um, a lot of screen time. Netflix, uh, I'm not sure. a big video gamer, so. No, I get that. And walk, walks and keeping, uh, while keeping six feet away minimum with other people, from other people. <laughs> I think that seems that seems to be kind of the challenge at this point. For yeah. Sure. Now, now I'll, I'll get you out on here on this. I'll let you plug it a little bit because I think it's awesome. Uh, tell us about the last Franco American project. Where's that up to? So I started it. Um, there's a bit of irony in here because to give a little background, when I arrived in Montreal, the first few months to a year or even more, but especially when I arrived, um, I kept on getting with a surprise reaction by like, oh my God, you're, you're, uh, you're American and you speak French with a Quebec accent with old expressions like we used to use, like uh, they, they'd say that my parents or grandparents used to say, because basically that's where our French comes from in sure. Manchester. So it was the first time where people, I, I realized that people held a large interest. I, I didn't realize it. I was really, uh, gee, just uh, a rare, I guess I'll say a rare, a rare deal because uh, there's not a lot of people under the age of, I'll say, 50 even, or say even 60 that are fluent in French in New England or still speak it um, mostly with their families. So the people up here didn't think that it still existed south of the border. Uh, minus like in Louisiana or northern Maine, because there's the uh, exceptions that people always know about. Sure. And so I realized more and more so people would we'd get into like large conversations about myself, like holiday parties, like our traditions, about how they were much more so, um, we'll say French Canadian or Quebecois than American, and just the way uh, the way we uh, just our, our our ways of living. We're uh, I don't know. I think we were a lot less cold than most Englanders, too, <laughs> growing up. Uh, so I think uh, inside of me is like a, like a sharp divide between uh, the American New Englander and the, uh, we'll say, growing up in a very French-Canadian Quebecois culture. So I just, I realized about a year after I moved to Montreal, like, oh, I have a lot of substance to write a book about for people directed at two audiences, the one north of the border and the one south of the border, because they don't really realize how connected they are. And so I, I wrote it in French, and it took me at about a year and a half, if not more, maybe two years. That's awesome. And then I sent it to a few people, and I didn't really get much feedback. And after rereading it, realized, all right, this is really dry. There's a bunch of like sentence structure uh, issues, a lot of that, because... I mean, my only education in French was seven, started in seventh grade uh, with the option of 45 minutes a day, which doesn't give you much. You know, I made a connection between what I had of oral and oral and, uh, well, speaking and uh, listening, sure. whatever, yeah. to reading and writing. So I made a big decision between I have to give it more juice, so I have to rewrite it in English um, while, while translating it, but rewriting it in a what I like to read type of way. So that took me, I just finished about a month ago. So I, it took me about 13 to 14 months. That's awesome. So I have uh, three, three readers in New England, uh, first-generation American, Franco-Americans. They can speak a little French, so they can really, uh, and they're actually both, like myself, like first-generation college uh, students. Uh, a lot of us, our parents, you know, worked in the mills. Yeah. Um, 
and moved on to construction, like union construction, a lot of our parents and aunts and uncles. So they can uh, they can identify with a lot of this. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, sir. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Stay healthy. Joining us now is Ria Cote Robbins, who will be a guest on an upcoming episode of the podcast. She is the author of Down the Plains and Wednesday's Child, and she is the founder and executive director of the Franco-American Women's Institute. Ria, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Now, what does your normal currently look like? My, I haven't changed all that much, really, other than, you know, not so many trips to the store because I was retired, so I was already working at home. Now, has this had any impact on the organizations that you work with? Well, I was scheduled to do a presentation with the Mount Desert Island, um, some training with teachers. There was some, uh, they were looking at uh, the cultures, Franco-American, Native American, and I think Hispanic, through the arts. And so I was going down to do a presentation, so that got canceled. And then also a panel for the Franco-American Center. But what's happened with that is we're going virtual. So uh, on the 3rd, April 3rd, at 10 o'clock, I'll be... Uh, doing a virtual presentation on Zoom. Nice. For is suffrage that... and uh, Maine women legislators. Now, is that open to the public? It is, yes. Um, I can send you the link. Uh, Lisa Michaud has set that up at the Franco American Center. Very cool. Now, is that first event that you mentioned, is that going to be rescheduled? Do we know? Um, they might, but right now, what's happening with us in the schools in Maine is that. Uh, Bangor is completely canceled for the rest of the year. So once Bangor makes a decision, I think everybody will, will be following. So that probably will be something that will happen maybe later in the future. But uh, there were a bunch of people that were from the Franco culture that were going down. So that was really kind of a fun thing because they were going at it by the arts. Hopefully that can still happen. Yeah. For sure. Right. Now, what kind of suggestions would you have? or someone like myself who now finds themselves inside for the foreseeable future? The, you know, I think that everybody will probably go at this, you know, a uh, different way. Um, I think that, you know, some of the things that I'm seeing is, you know, people doing their, their work or their exercising or the artwork or whatever, you know, the reading. But sure. I guess part of it is for me is uh, setting a goal or two or three goals for each day. Like if that. you're at home and, you know, go from there and see what happens, you know, because I think that's what I do. I set a goal or many goals, depending. Sure. Well, <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, I think that's a good that's a good approach. Because that's what I did to my grandson because he's a senior this year. So the thing is, if his school is canceled, maybe no graduation, maybe no senior prom, right? Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that would be hard. But anyway, so I called him up and I'm saying, well, what's your goal for today? You know, so he's he knows now when I call him, I'm going to say, what's your goal? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Well, Rita, thank you for joining us. That's awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Stay safe. Yes, you do the same. I guess Patrick Lacroix was someone we talked with way back in episode five, and he's somebody we will connect with again on a future episode. He also kicked off our Why Do You Tell the Franco-American Story series. Now, Patrick is a leading scholar of Franco-American history, and he runs the outstanding blog, Query the Past, and he's currently an instructor at Mount St. Vincent University and at Acadia University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Patrick! Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you, Jesse. Always a pleasure. Now, what does Halifax look like now? Uh, luckily, I've steered away from, from the big city. Um, there have been a few clusters of this dreaded COVID um, in the province. And luckily, we're kind of... Um, I, I don't want to overestimate how well we're doing here, sure. but the cases in the Atlantic region have been uh, a lot fewer than um, in other parts of Canada or New England even. So um, luckily I'm kind of out in the boondocks in Wolfville and trying to steer away from all the crowds and you know going out for a little bit of fresh air and staying active, but that's the extent of it. Now, what has been the response from the universities that you work with? Yeah, so a few weeks ago, I think it's almost exactly two weeks now, 
uh, both institutions I work at decided to cancel all in-person classes. Um, so those courses are still going on, but they're going on in all digital. For somebody as technologically unsavvy as I am, <laughs> it's been... I mean, you've seen my phone. Yeah, um, I have indeed. <laughs> which is the stuff of legend at this yes, point. Yes, for sure. So I'm, I've been adjusting uh, as best as I can. And, um, you know, luckily we only had a few weeks to go to the term. Uh, we're kind of wrapping up right now, partly because we start so early um, in January. So we were really close to the end. I really thought for a second that we were going to make it um, with in-person classes, but um, that's not happening. So right now I'm mostly focusing on making sure that my students have all the digital resources they can use for their final papers and their essay is going to be a take home and they'll have plenty of time to work on that. And some of my students for, for one of these institutions have the option of instead of taking an actual uh, numerical grade of taking a pass fail, gotcha. which doesn't affect their GPA. So at least in that sense, you know, we're trying to minimize the disruptive effect, especially since a lot of these students, um, you know, are also dealing with really stressful situations in terms of health, uh, jobs, all sorts of other things sure. that honestly are more important than, you know, a single grade in a single class. So I'm trying to be as accommodating as I can be. Do either of your universities offer summer classes or trips abroad? And what is happening with all of that? I assume there were uh, trips that I was entirely not involved with <laughs> that, that were going to take place. I wasn't volunteered or didn't volunteer sure. myself. Of course. Um, so my assumption, of course, is that those are canceled. So that's a little, somewhat of a tricky situation. As for the spring and summer classes, I think the plan is still to go forward with them and to just really quickly and try to make it work online. Um, many of the courses that are typically offered during those two terms, uh, spring and summer, are actually already online because people know that students have summer jobs and have other sure. concerns during those months. So I think that the ultimately the disruptive effect of those classes will be somewhat lessened, especially since a lot of us now have some experience teaching online. Yeah, so that's exactly. kind of the, the virtue of transitioning in the course of this term. I got you. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. What suggestions do you have for someone like myself who has been in this apartment for quite some time and doesn't foresee leaving it uh, in anytime soon? Well, one of the great joys of the last few weeks for me, as I am, you know, cooped up as well, maybe not to the same extent, I have this wonderful bird feeder right nice. outside my kitchen window, <laughs> and it's just been absolute chaos. I fill it up every, you know, every other day, and the the birds, you know, I could, even in the age of Netflix, even in the age of YouTube and everything else, I think that's as entertaining as anything else I've seen. So if you can have somebody put out a bird feeder close to a window or something, you'll see that it's just, it turns into a circus, and I love it. So that's, that's been... Awesome. You know, a really low, low energy, low cost way of keeping myself busy. Um, but of course, the the web is great, and um, you know, it's been wonderful to see so many fellow researchers and scholars post a lot of great stuff. I'm reading more than I have in the last few months, so that's great. Um, also, trying to stay active, but I find if I don't go out, you know, it doesn't really happen. So, sure. so hopefully, you can get better tips. From somebody else, <laughs> I'm not very, I'm not, I'm not being very helpful here, but I'm trying. Oh, I like it. No, I appreciate it. Thank you, Patrick. Appreciate it, sir. Of course, it's my pleasure. Joining us now is someone we've heard a couple of different times on the podcast. My sister, Monique. Monique, welcome back. Jesse, how you doing? <laughs> okay. Now, what does your life look like now? Uh, looks like uh, me trying to entertain a 15-month-old every day. <laughs> The two of you hanging out? Yeah, the two of us just hanging out and trying to keep him amused, trying not to go insane, just because it's a, it's a lot to take care of a 15-month-old all the time. God bless those daycare teachers, those early childhood teachers, because typically he goes to daycare, but his daycare is closed. Keeping him entertained, keeping him busy. You know, we go, we try to go outside maybe once a day, but staying inside. and Yeah, now that's one thing that's interesting, because... I know in New Hampshire, anyway, I still have friends who are able to send their kids to daycare. Are all the daycares in Maine closed? Or no, it is. It's actually up to... It's like a town by town thing? 
it's not even a town by town thing. It's a director by director thing. Gotcha. So his director, which I mean, again, everybody, and I do understand I own a business. So I understand yeah. the other, the flip side of that. Um, but his director for the safety of the kids and the families thought it was the best move to follow the school district. Oh, I agree. And we hear all the time about the impact this might have on a business. And I did want mm -hmm. to you are a business owner. What does this mean for you and your studio? I should know you yeah. own a dance studio. Yeah, so I own a dance studio and we're definitely, so we're closed for who knows how long. As of right now, we're following the Stanford Main School District because that's where I'm located, which is supposed to open up again on my birthday, April 27th. Don't forget. <laughs> but uh, so in like a month, it's supposed to open up again. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. We're supposed to have, I was actually, today, we were supposed to be at a competition down in Nashua, New Hampshire. That's been canceled. I'm supposed to have a recital at the end of May. Again, I don't know how that's going to look with only us coming back, if we even come back at the end of April. Right. So there's a lot of factors. The other factor, obviously, is even though I am not open, I still have bills at the studio. So right. yeah, um, I'm going to be feeling the impact of that to try to keep I mean, I'm at the minimum paying my electricity, my internet, my rent um, while we're closed and I'm not bringing anything in. Because that's, I mean, that's the way I look at it. I don't think it's fair for me to charge when I'm not actually offering the service. Of course. It just means I got to swallow that a little bit. So. No, of course. And last question. What would you suggest to someone like myself who is now stuck inside for the foreseeable future? Any fun tips? Any fun suggestions? Lose to your sister at Ticket to Ride. <laughs> online app board games app right. board games yep so I think we're, we're actually tied one and one right now actually but i took on the i took the family one so really i'm up but yeah, just putting it out there but um yeah i think that's something i would say try to connect people as much as possible i try to facetime like i facetime my parents i facetime my brother as much as possible we've tried to facetime you know other other relatives and friends and stuff just because especially because my little guy is so so young and he, i don't want him to not see people for months um yeah. which is what we're looking at right now so just trying to stay connected to people as best you can and then um i think that's it i mean i think everybody is different i think i need to work on myself getting a better schedule getting a more set like set schedule because this is going to go on for a little bit so kind of in, in two things embrace the stuck and hunt the good stuff you know there you go. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you for the time. Monique, stay safe. Out. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.